0: Alright, everybody quiet down, because I'm only going to say this once. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I am only going to say this once, but you can listen to it as much as you want. You have no idea how much I sort of agonize over how I'm going to do the opening line to every episode. Nobody cares, but it's something that I care about. And that is my burden to carry. This is Sean Kantrowitz. I am the host of the Questions Hip Hop Trivia Podcast that you are listening to, Right now on the Stony Island Audio Network. I want to give a big shout out to everybody who's been giving great feedback, supporting the show, reaching out. It really feels good. You know, we're really hitting our stride here as we have transitioned into a full podcast format. And I've had a lot of people ask me what the best way that they can help and sort of be down for the cause and support the show. You know, they want to know what they can do. So I'm here to tell you, there are three things that you can do if you enjoy The Questions Hip Hop Trivia and want to help. The first thing you can do is share it with your friends. That's pretty simple. Text it, email it, tweet it, post about it. Very simple, very quick and easy, very powerful. Word of mouth is super important. The second thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app. That's also free. It doesn't cost you anything, but most importantly, it does a great service to a show like this in helping the algorithmic powers that be show a little love to the little hip-hop trivia podcast that could. I've had a complicated relationship with the algorithm over the years. I think all of us have. So, this is a really easy way to help boost the signal of the show. And the third way, and by the way, these are not mutually exclusive. You can definitely do all three of these things, I'm not making you choose just one. But the third way to help support the show is to join the question's Patreon. It's an exclusive group of people who are all united by a few things. First of all, it's people who enjoy the show, whether they're newcomers, or they've been around since this was a free live event prior to the pandemic in the ancient olden times. They feel like this is something that they enjoy. They enjoy the podcast and, and they want to help support so that I can keep doing the show. It's also a group of people who really like to engage and geek out on some rap shit. You know, they are amongst like-minded hip hop nerds. It's kind of like a giant group chat, but we're not talking about relatives or you know, the insanity that's happening in the news. We're talking about liner notes and samples and a lot of rap what ifs. And finally, these are people who also like getting show content early, as well as other pieces of content that you can't get anywhere else. I put a link to the Patreon in the show notes, and you can also go to patreon.com slash thequestionshiphop to join. It's $5 a month. That's a little over a dollar a week. Any support is greatly appreciated. So now let's talk about this episode. This is a classic throwback episode. It was episode number 86, and we recorded this January 27th, 2021. It was a live stream on Instagram, and it is with Salam Remy. He's a producer, he's a musician, multiple Grammy nominations, and there's not a lot of guys in the game who have such a long and successful run. Started back in the 80s, and you know, at the end of that decade, you know, turn of the 90s, was, you know, producing for artists like Craig G, Chopper Ranks. In the 90s, he did work with artists such as Biz Marquis, Channel Live, The Fugees did a lot of their big remixes, did fuji Law on the score, little record you might have heard of. Then in the 2000s, he starts working with Nas, some of Nas's biggest songs from that era. He produced some incredible songs for Jasmine Sullivan and also was responsible for half of a record called Back to Black by Amy Winehouse. Him and Mark Ronson split that shit down the middle. He did half the album. It's absolutely incredible the work that this man has done. And since the 2000s, he's worked with artists like Miguel, Nelly Furtado, Black Thought of the Legendary Roots Group. If you have paid even slight attention to popular and groundbreaking music in the last 30 years, you know Salam Remy's work. You know the songs that he has helped write and produce. And I was absolutely thrilled to have him on the show. He was great very gracious with this time, was more than willing to dive down a lot of the rabbit holes of discussions and side tangents that often happen when we talk about these songs and about all of this stuff. And producers particularly, they really love to get in the weeds and tell the stories behind the music. I just wanted to give a little bit more background, because I noticed in listening back to some of these other episodes, I sort of don't set up the artists. I sort of assume that you all know these artists, and honestly, I think most of you do. I don't think that they all need introductions, and I'm not saying that Salam does either, but I want to make sure that for those who are listening, and maybe are not as hip, or maybe they're familiar with the work, but they don't necessarily know the full breadth of the background and the story i'm giving you guys stuff to work with as always for these classic episodes there was a visual component in our picasso baby round and so i'm gonna pipe in here in post and let you know what cropped album cover our guest was looking at when he was quizzed on identifying it all right i've taken up enough of your time we're gonna get right into it this is a classic episode of the questions hip-hop trivia with producer salam remy
1: Question. Who rapping there? That remix, and what happened when? That's the question. Then let me ask you a question. Hmm. And if you ain't know what needs, then my guys know what you need. Some answers to the questions. Love. Yo, there he is, second time's a charm, baby. Yeah, the second and third I had to switch devices on us.
0: The old Bluetooth device switch thing, yep, I feel that. Doing too much out here. Uh, you know what it is? It's like I was just saying before, it's like technical difficulties are part of the streaming process now. That's like one of the best parts of Versus is watching people uh, not know how to operate. Please don't put that
1: on me. I didn't do that. No, again, no, no.
0: You know? all right, cool. No, trust me. I, I don't want that on you. I don't want that on us. We want this to, to be a non-versus. Uh, how are you doing, sir? It's a pleasure and an honor to welcome you to the show. So thank you, first of all, for doing
1: this. Well, oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Questlove sent a high recommendation and said, do this. So I was like, okay, I'll be the first person out of my uh, producer group chat to jump in and say I'm doing this.
0: Yeah, so you're, to those who don't know, there is this epic, like, group chat that, like, how many people are in this group chat that's you and Questlove and, like, it's it's everybody, it's like a hip-hop producer like wet dream, right? 27, 28, I think. 27, 28, yeah. So Questlove, former guest on the show, friend of the show, he was on. Uh, I know we've had Just Blaze on as well. No. Uh, um, yeah. He kind of, he Questlove sent the bat signal out and you, uh, you stepped up to the plate, so appreciate yeah. that. Oh,
1: glad to be here. Yes, sir.
0: Um, so, you know, this is like a, a talk show. This is a game show. It's sort of a, a two for one. So, you know, we're, we're here to just celebrate, you know, this music that we all love. Celebrate your you know uh, accomplishments in, in this <laughs> career as well. And, uh, you know, I, I always like to tell guests that you have the option if you want. You can rely on the chat if you don't know an answer. We, have, we sort of have two schools. There's some guests who we've had who are like, fuck that. I- I'm not looking at the chat. I'm going solo dolo. Others, it's like a phone a friend. So we're not right. judging you either way, Salon, but just so you know. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, I won't feel judged, and I'll make sure I keep myself on point. <laughs> That's out. a, a sure. fair yeah. and balanced buy uh, some answer. some power so we don't have issues later. Yep, yep.
0: Um, so how has your 2021 been off to you as a start? Like, what has what, what your, uh, your year been so
1: far? Honestly, I feel like I just got to twenty twenty one the last two days. It's like this year it's February on Monday, so it's like we really went fast, slow, fast, slow, kind yeah. of in some weird way, so I feel like I've already gotten to uh, February, but I didn't really get started yet you know, so it's kind of like a a weird balance, but you know I'm excited for it either way, and uh it's yeah, getting ready yeah. for it. Uh, yeah. A lot of the a lot of the beginning weeks of
0: 2021 felt like uh, rejects from 2020. It was like everybody thought we were gonna cry like cross the calendar threshold and it was gonna be all good. And then it was, we wished like, for that. We really wanted it. That was it, wishful thinking. It was like in the horror movie where like you see the villain or the monster is dead, but like you like they didn't like shoot it like the last time and it, it reaches up and sort of grabs you like the uh, the last like scare in the movie. Right? Gosh, bitch.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's basically what he did.
0: M- major gotcha bitch vibes for sure. Exactly. Um All right, well Salam, I think we should get into this. Are you ready to do some hip hop trivia? Uh yep. I, hopefully I'm 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 not the nerd that I think I am. <laughs> well wait, <laughs> do you, I think true. you wanna be the nerd that
1: you think you are, right? Are you are I'm, you I'm just I'm already going, I don't know what you're gonna ask me and I don't know if I'm gonna know the answer, but I'm a good sport. So
0: we appreciate that. Uh, if it makes you feel any better, we've had, you're our episode number 86. We've had some, you know, legends. i hope not the to the get 86.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're
0: not getting 86, <laughs> although you are technically 86. But we, we've had some legends on the show, and I've been surprised at the DMs that we've gotten at the last minute of people seeming really nervous. And I always say, we're not here to make anybody look bad. Like, it's not our goal to get somebody like Salam Remy on the show and be like, gotcha bitch. You know, like it's, this is a celebration,
1: right?
0: So we're going to get into it. Uh, the first round is called the choice is yours. This is our general multiple choice round, just general knowledge. So let's get into it. it. The first question is, This? this company produced and manufactured the highly influential TR 808 drum machine. Was it cork? Akai? Roland or Alesis? Roland. Roland's he says oh, Roland. And the answer is Roland. <laughs> um, we figured you might know this. You're a producer, a producer extraordinaire. But my question for you is what uh, instruments or machines did you sort of get your started at? start at? Because you, you started at a pretty early age, if I'm correct. I was right? playing
1: drums as a kid. Um... Elvin Jones, you know, the legendary jazz drummer, saw me in the music store with my dad when I was three on my third birthday. And it was a store that was kind of like where Unique Recording used to be, like kind of up above 47th and Broadway or 7th Avenue, whichever side that was. And um, I was in there doing something, and my dad's, basically how my parents met is that my dad was in, a brother, was in a band with my uncle, my mother's brothers. And then all of my uncles, all played together, but I became the youngest, keep up with the trap drum set and do something. And when I was three, um, the Elvin saw me in there playing stuff and then started to put together a little drum set for me. Like, hey, took a floor time, made it into a kick. And he was like, wow, that kid, you know, he just, he recognized that I that I had a rhythm and I was going into something. Um, but then as I got older, my first um, keyboard, I have a Yamaha porta sound that actually you could program stuff in. So I had that in 83. I was in junior high. I guess like that Christmas, I got that. And at that time, I was in junior high with like Akinelli. Um And he's always like, yo, you guys making beats with the little toot, toot, toots. It was like almost like the organ little drum machine thing. But I yeah. could program it into hip-hop beats. So that was fun. And then after that, um, probably the Roland 707 was my first drum machine. I got a DX-21, a Roland 707, and a Yamaha uh M X 5 or something like that. One of the Yamaha four tracks. And that was my start. And then I was like, it doesn't sound right. It was like, get a reverb. And I got to at least this reverb. And kept going until I realized you need to be sampling these things, not programming them. But programming right. was my basis. So I already knew how to do that. And I know how to play drums for real. Well, it's good to have that background, I would say. Because, Definitely. it
0: you know, there's... I feel like there's a misconception amongst a lot of uh, musicians and producers that sort of feel like theory and and sort of like more practical uh, education can harm them. But I would think, I don't think that's the case. And I would wager a bet that you don't think that's the case either, because you are such a musician as well as a producer.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a blessing because, you know, I I knew my dad used to call me Luper Blank Vandross. So I knew what I appreciate from sampling. You know, I've sampled you know, Apache, you know what I'm saying, all the way and you made a major look or something out of it. Um, so I appreciate samples for the Sonics and the engineering and everything else, but I also understand programming from that up. So I could sit on my laptop on QWERTY keys and make something on an iPad, a garage band or on the phone, but at the same time, a lot of my stuff now, I'm blessed to be able to be in a position where I've become a musician and an engineer so I can just listen to it and most of my tracks start on a kit or actual instrument and then i go backwards and put the digital edge to it sample myself basically yeah that's
0: amazing and probably great on the publishing as well you know you get to in the long run yeah it definitely helps. yeah <laughs> um we got salam remy in the house see you know you were nervous we're already we're, we're easing you in this is like you know in your wheelhouse I see this
1: is, that, that was like you know
0: Okay, got it. You got it, you got it. But you never know. You never know. There might be that moment. There might be a twist or turn. We got to keep some sort of anticipation going. I'm here. not
1: embarrassed to not know something. You know, I'm here to learn as well. Absolutely. All right, well, we're going to move on to the next question, second question
0: in our first round. This group, or the group Channel Live, made a song with KRS-One dedicated to this political prisoner. Was it Leonard Peltier, uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, Matula Shakur, or Herman Bell?
1: Uh, it's called Free Mumia, so it'll be number two.
0: Uh, great memory, obviously, and what is your, uh, I mean, you know, I, I kind of picked this for a couple of reasons, and one of them was, I really like, and I wanted to talk to you about your most recent uh, album that you put out last year, which was very, Mm -hmm. uh, a, a sound and a record of the times, and it sort of spoke to a lot of political issues. Um, and, and just society issues. It's not even politics, really. It's just, you know, what, what what's going on in the world. So tell me a little bit about that album and uh, and where, you know, how it sort of came about for you.
1: All right, so first thing is, like, you no, know, i worked with Channel Live, so the, their first station identification album. Like, I was in a room with Karis when made uh, Madism and yep. everything else, so I sat there and watched that, and then Tuffy with Channel Live is now, you know, still my publishing rep at Pair Music. That's so amazing. he's no uh, executive vice president or some vice president at here, And he's who I deal with. So i know him since he was an intern in the studio before he got the deal. and got there. So I always knew what they were going on with, you know, in between and everything else. My album, Black On Purpose, um just me watching the times. And, you know, I, I just felt like sometimes when you feel like things are happening, you know, us as artists, we have a reason to say something. And I felt that I should use my strongest voice, you know, the voice that's gonna last forever and I've you know, looked at it like, you know, the song's gonna last longer than my feelings. So I just channeled being quarantined, in the house, you know, instruments, as long as I have electricity I can create and I used all the emotions I had to pour into that project, which, um, for me it's something I just feel like if I didn't make anything else ever, this is what I made, this is what I left into. I almost feel like it's my last record in that way because I put so much into, you know, calling everybody. You know, I was talking to people about what's happening and getting them to record themselves over the phone, shooting videos over the phone, you know. Is it because I'm black? Everybody's shooting on their phone and I'm here editing and making it happen. So I just felt like there was so much that I needed to do musically, but it was also so much I had to do for my own learning of, you know, reminding myself who I am and where I'm going to and what makes a difference. And I think that where we are in the world now is this a cause of humanity, you know what I'm saying? Which comes back down to what many people have said over the years, like this isn't just a civil rights issue or a um right versus wrong. This is humanity. Like does humanity make more sense than greed, wealth and whatever's supposedly there. Is? So I just felt like, yeah, as a human, um And definitely, as a black man, you know, which if someone looks at me, that's what they're going to identify first. This is something I had to do and I had to say. And, you know, I'm letting the music speak for itself. I still have a few more videos on the drop the album this year. Oh, wow. That's
0: great. Yeah, if if y'all haven't checked it, definitely look for Black on Purpose. I mean, the features is crazy. You know, you've got everybody from Bilal to... Buster rhymes, Black Thought. Uh, I mean, it's just it's a it's a lottery list of dope collaborators, and then the production is just amazing. So you 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 conceived and did all of
1: that in 2020 in quarantine. Yeah, um, after George Floyd passed. I mean, there was a couple of things I started a bit before, but the album was really done between June and September, pretty much. Yeah, you no. Know, and- so, so between those three months, and then all the visuals and everything was shot. You know, like sit on phones or finding different creative ways to
0: do it during quarantine. Right. I mean, we've all had to pivot in our current circumstances and the limitations that being, you know, in a in a quarantine and sort of separated from each other. So, you know, let's we we all know that uh, limitations will breed creativity. You know, it's those it's those the limitations just make the art. And you know, it's dope to hear that you were able to do that because a lot of times artists and producers and their projects. We all know certain things that like people are in the studio years working on, but there's a whole other school of thought when it comes to albums. It's just being sort of snapshots of a time. And you felt that urgency to sort of like, this is what we're dealing with at this moment. And it's amazing that you were able to knock that out and just, you know, put it out into the world when it was needed.
1: I mean, I put a lot of feeling into it. And ultimately, I want people to listen to it, but I also want them to feel it. And if you hear it and you feel it, then you're getting part of my transmission, and that's going to be here long after I'm here. You know what I'm saying? Amazing. So we're doing that amazing triple tri-colored vinyl coming out from that on February 19th. Oh, I mean, you,
0: you've already sold one right now. I'll, there I'll... we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, Black on Purpose, check it out. Uh, listen, we, we like to promote our guest work, too. We're not just drilling them with uh, <laughs> trivia questions here. Yeah. Um, question number three. Here we go. The Buddha Bliss crew consisted of Spoonie G and this soon to be hip hop superstar. Was it Slick Rick, Rock Kim, Dougie Fresh, or Jimmy
1: Spicer? Wow, you went there with this one. Uh, that was Dougie Fresh. Yeah. Uh you have a I so got a, a-, a story with this one. I yeah. was actually
0: at that session. Um, let, let, let's back it up for the people who may not know. Uh, your father, who you mentioned earlier, uh, he was involved in this record and this group.
1: Yes. So, my father, you know, was a musician, and then he started producing different things, and he was watching what I was into. So, he was doing promotion at the time, and when he would go to a store, you know, he'd have me with him sometime, and I wanted the Sugar Hill record, but I also wanted the Yellow Man record. I was into the reggae growing up in, in, up in New York just as much or more than sometimes in the hip-hop stuff. Yeah. So he had met Dougie when he was going through the record stores in Harlem. And he also was friends with Sly and Robbie. When they were in New York working with Gwen Guthrie and doing different things, he would help them and move them around and you know just take them to the Paradise Garage and do different things. So he had an idea that he wanted to take the past the Dutchie, which Musical Youth had going off the original Kutchy Rhythm. So he had Sly and Robbie come to the studio and actually, they were in the um, Planet Studios, which is like under where Rogue was in New York, like, you know, on 30th Street. And Robbie walked in. And I remember I was like, oh, you know my father. Uh, he's like, who's your father? I was like, Van. He's like, well, I'm trucking. He's bulldozer. You know, that was a big joke. And I was like, wow. And then Dougie came in, and he was in there doing his thing. And that was Dougie's first actual recording, like the first time he'd been in the studio and done anything. So um, that he was like part, 13, right? Yeah, 13 or 14. He he was like 13 or 14 at the time. So he was there. And then I remember one day he called me. He's like, you was there touching everything. He was always in the studio touching everything. But, you know, even down to having Dougie Fresh on my album and being one of the first voices that come on after, you know, Malcolm X intro, it's all full circle for me. You know, these records are family, the aspects of it is family. And yeah, that was Dougie's first time in the studio on the Buddha Bless crew. You were there. You're the History. I mean, I I'm, I'm, yeah. can only imagine
0: There's. you've seen so many incredible moments in the studio, but, you know, we had right. to take it back. We wanted to go a little bit. Definitely. You surprised me with that one. Okay. All right. All right. Doug for that. Well, all right. We're going to go on to our final question in our first round. So far, so right. good. For, three for three. Salon, Remy. Um, this artist makes a cameo as a bassist in the opening shot of the music video for Eric B. and Rakim's Don't sweat the technique. Is it Special Ed, Wyclef Jean, Q-Tip, or Diamond D? And that would be Wyclef. He says Wyclef. There he is. A fact that I actually didn't know until, like, way more recently. I don't know, you know, it might have flown over my head, or maybe I just never noticed it, but... It's one of those the cool thing about the internet and like hip hop, like Twitter and stuff is that somebody will discover something and then everybody starts talking about it and some people are like, What?
1: I always knew that and then other people are like, Yo, I had no idea. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I, I don't know if he ever told me that. He might have told me but maybe it didn't connect totally. And I know I think that's probably around the time he was going to Five Times College in Queens. But um Yeah, I knew that he was somewhere in there. Um and I've seen this picture before, so I, I, I caught that fact. All uh, right. he, he, I think he, I'm going all
0: yeah. right so far. Yeah. I think he's had me
1: confidently set up for the rope-a-dope. So I'm going so, to-
0: See, uh, this, he yeah. understands the big picture here. He, yeah, he, he knows how this thing
1: goes. Um, you know,
0: I'm sure you've been uh, asked a lot of questions about working with uh, Wyclef and working with the Fujis before. Obviously, you did. You know, you mm-hmm. were a huge part of their legacy. Fuji-la is like a classic. But what is, you know, what was your general relationship like not a specific story, but like, what was the dynamic like when you entered the picture with the Fugees? Like, What was that, because there's so many personalities and such a, you know, strong, uh, I'm sure opinions and visions and stuff. Like, how did you sort of find yourself fitting into the mix there when you worked with them?
1: Um, well, basically, I mean, Bloody on Reality was out. Um, Jeff Burrows had hit me up. He was their product manager at the time. He hit me through Jessica Rosenblum, through Flex. For Master Flex, I was no, I know, on the air with Flex at the time, on and I was working with all the reggae acts. And he asked me like, hey, I have this group that's Haitian? They got something, but they need a record that can really just go and play in these spots. And then when I was like, well, who's the manager? And he said, David Sonnenberg and Bernard Alexander, who actually also at the time were managing Nas, Akinelli, and Biz, in jungle, uh-huh. and Junk, a couple other people. So I knew Bernard from Dancing With EPMD, and being around and I was dealing with him with the biz stuff all the time. David is actually who sent me Kamozi um, before I did it. was a hot supper and stuff. So I knew them already. And you know, it was just that thing. It was the end of the year. It was that last check you can get cut before Thanksgiving. Because <laughs> the business ends. The business I ends where it after was. Thanksgiving. I was like, oh really? Y'all about to not sign? The two signers go two opposite directions and you're not getting a double signature check after a certain point. So yep. I was like, all right, so let me get that first half. Like, you know, I'll do that right there and take care of it. And, you know, we worked on it. And what it came down to was Wyclef came in. And, you know, they had the song Nappy Heads. It was kind of loud. It was kind of more on the Onyx, you know, grimy, yelling type vibe. Um, right. That was popular then with all that energy. And I just said, look, this is the basis of the beat. And I had noises that ain't hard to tell. And Jay Ruse come clean acapellas. So I had the basis of the beat, and I was like, I need you to go here. And he's like, All right, cool. Then he came back by with Prowse and Lauren. Prowse was like, Yo, um, you know my boy Kobe Brown, you know what I'm saying? Kobe, you know, went to Ruckers with me. I was like, Yeah, he's like, All right, everybody's kind of comfortable. And they came by my crib, and we got the idea for it. Then when we got in the studio, I let Clef rhyme for like 13. 13- oh, wow. Until the tape spent ran off, and back. I said,
0: "Getting some uh, Wi-Fi connection issues here, folks. Hold, sit tight, sit tight, hold tight, hold tight." Uh, freeze. Okay. Uh, I think you're. I think you're good now. I'm good now. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, where did I end the story? <laughs> uh, you said that uh, Wyclef, he, he got in there and you let him rhyme for, and then it cut. In 13 like, minutes. And then I started just, I just basically told him, take this part, take that part, take that part, put it together. And when he put it all together, we got, we, you know, Chiba, Chiba, y'all, I'm a Libra, y'all. And then it came after that, I said, if rappers is or something, I'm the last reading dinosaur, take that part out. So I just kind of laid it out. And then he hit the Mona Lisa, can I get a data? for? I was like, all right, that's the chorus. And once we put his verse together, then we did the same with Lauren's and the same with that. And at that time, you know, they were willing to definitely listen to figure out what it was. And I just gave them something that started the process. And then, you know, we did the same thing with Vocab. And then they took some of the rhymes and the energy that we had on our Vocab remix. Their version of Vocab kind of sat better and was the video version. And yeah. then I was actually doing a song with them for the Clockers movie. I've done a few songs for Spike Lee's Clockers yeah. And there was a beat, you know, that I made for Fat Joe. And Lauren was like, yo, play the Fat Joe beat. Cuff jumps up. We used to be number 10. And we recorded Fuji La during that time, you know, in my studios. And then they went and got the budget for the second album. So I think a lot of the process was them also trusting me enough to show them what about their talent was going to make it work. Um, and it's yeah. always been that, like, you know, kind of a a mentor space and, you know, I didn't speak to Clefery, so I, I, I spoke to Franz and Lauren this week. Um, oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, it's always been peace, but my, my energy has never changed. You know what I'm saying? From 1993 <clears throat> to now, you know, we're 28 years later. I'm always like, yo, what's up? What you doing? You should probably try that. You know what I'm saying? And then you know, I still have everything. I still have the cassettes from those sessions back here somewhere. Oh, wow. Ah, uh, Fuji's Project Heads. What? You know what I'm saying? I still have all my tapes and all my disc and all the pieces and everything. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, it's beautiful to still be able to reference it and it still sounds fresh. Uh, yeah,
0: it's Salam Remy
1: and the Fugees from the '90s. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I think that that doesn't have an expiration date. Um, yeah, but, but it still sounds like you got this little thing to it, like a, a lemon zest on it or something. You know what I'm saying? To keep it fresh. I was going to say lemon zest. You took the words right out of my mouth.
0: Zestfully clean. Zestfully clean. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Zest. Zestfully clean with Salam Remy. Uh, Salam, you're-, you're doing a great job so far. We're going to move on to our second round. Uh, and by the way, uh, everybody watching in the chat, if you have questions for Salam, if we have some time at the end, we might do, do a little Q&A. So drop him the little question balloon box at the bottom. Um, we're going to move on to our second round, and the second round is called Picasso, baby. Uh-huh. So in this round, this is all about the visuals. I'm going to show you a small piece of an album cover, and you have to identify what the album is by the little cropped image that you see. So we tested your general knowledge, now we're testing your eyes. Okay, uh, okay. So That's here we problem. go. <laughs> all right, let's get into it. It's a black and white photo of a black woman in a white shirt looking back as she runs from white police officers who are following her on foot. What album cover is this? Is it Dead Prez, Let's Get Free, The Roots, Things Fall Apart, Boogie Down Productions, Sex and Violence, or is it The Coup, Pick a Bigger Weapon? That is The Roots, Things Fall Apart. He says it's The Roots, let's see if he's correct folks. Absolutely correct.
1: Hey, yes, y'all.
0: I'm a huge Roots fan. So, uh, you know, when you did the EP with Black Thought, I was super geeks, because what a great marriage. And, you know, probably my favorite of the streams of thought that we've heard thus far. Mm -hmm. But I also had heard from our, our mutual friend, Amir, Questlove Thompson, that at some point you were also working with the Roots as a band. Is right. that, can, can you talk about that? Is, still, is that still in the works? I
1: know that their album has been in the works for a long time, so. Right, so um, I guess it would probably would have been like in 2016, I think. There was a big session that they did at Electric Lady Studios, and they had everybody there. They had Stro, um, Jay Period was there, um, Kareem Riggins, Ninth Wonder, it was like yeah. loads of people, Bilal. Uh, Tish, um, I think Anderson was there, was packing there. Maybe he might've come. I think the internet was there on another day. Yeah. Uh, you know, the band, you know, Ray angry, James Poison. There was just a lot of people there. So they asked me to come through. I came to New York for a few days and then we just vibed and we came up with a bunch of different tracks, bigger brandy younger. She came through and played harp on stuff. And we just had loads of music, which I'm sure, must be 300 or something tracks. I know I worked on at least a few days' worth of music. And it was really just jamming, like, hey, get something up. You know, when Mary was in one room, I might be playing bass. I might have an idea. It was just kind of bubbling over. And when that happened, um, Tariq and I just started vibing, like, oh, you know what? Maybe we could do a little bit more music or kind of get into something. And we had spoke about it before, but never really did it. So then he came down for a couple days, really, one of the Roots had shows in Florida, and that's mm. how we ended up doing the EP. We really only spent like three or four days in the same room. Wow. And then, you know, he would just come and he'd just rhyme and do stuff. And then I was, kind of took a couple of rhymes that he spent on one beat and kind of built it backwards and built a track to it and did different things. But I think out of that early stuff, and maybe even some stuff that was done over the last year, some of it might end up on what becomes the next Roots record, because there's so much material that they have there. And, you know between what the mayor's done and then, I mean, they just constantly always recording stuff. Now, you know, so who knows how much of what is going to end up where, but we definitely have some material to come forth. Oof. It can also just happen at any given moment. Like, you know, since combustion just happens when you put all the elements in and you shake it up real good, anything can happen.
0: Right. You got to wear hazmat suits when you're in the studio with that many elements uh, going on there. But no, I really like the Streams on, of Thought album too and, and in a weird sort of paradoxical way, it felt more like a live album, like if it it had more live band elements to it than some Roots records too, which I know is again totally attributed to your musicianship. Um so it was really mm-hmm. dope to hear, you know, Black Thought on on the, those kind
1: of tracks as well, you know. Right. I mean, there's a thing. There was a time, like, I actually have a Quest Love kit in a room, and I just pushed, uh, you know, I had an organ in there already, so I stuck a Quest Love kit, an amp, and a bass, and a guitar. So, a lot of what that album is, is the sonic of a room that I just set up, and I would just be recording. And then, at some points, like I said, I just played his vocal, and then kind of just played against it. But also, when I played him, when I played Tariq, you know, things that had a musical element, it wasn't like he shied away from it. Some people like, it's so musical, I don't know what to do. He was able to hear something very musical that I thought was left field and then dive right into it and do what he does. So that marriage was able to make it work, and that's just how it ended up coming out, you know, just being live on top of live.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like if there's any MC in the game who's not going to shy away from live sounding, it's probably going to be Black Thought because... exactly. The Roots, as we all know. (laughs) Uh, All right, we're gonna move on to the next question. It's a close shot of two heads. We can't really see any of the faces, but they're pretty close to each other. One has braids, the other appears to be wearing some kind of hat, and there's a reddish glow on the parts of their faces that we can see. What album cover is this? Is it Outcast Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music, Souls of Mischief, 93 Till Infinity, Poison Clan, Two Low Life Mothers, or Compton's Most Wanted. It's a Compton thing. That is a
1: outcast.
0: He says outcast. <laughs> and he is absolutely correct. Is there anybody that you haven't worked with that you would like to work with? Or do you sort of just feel like, I'm cool with who I've worked with, if it happens, it happens, or do you do you keep
1: like a bucket list um i I tried not to have one for a long time, but at this point when I'm not you know to be totally transparent, i'm not really excited to just go in the studio every day and work on stuff I'm trying to find my other retirement things. It's this approaching fifty thing that kind of is getting at a lot of us like half a hundred I've been doing this since my teens. What am I doing again um but I guess one of the people that I would want to collaborate with and to see what came out of the room would be Andre 3000. And then also Slick Rick, just because that's my favorite rapper ever. Slick Rick
0: and Andre. Yeah. Great picks. Great picks. Uh, yeah, you know, you... I, I totally understand that. I mean, I, I don't totally understand it because I am not 50 and I haven't been you know, making music as long as you have, though I do make music, but what have you found are there practices that do sort of re-excite you like or, or things that sort of like spark your imagination like the first thing that hops into my mind when i'm asking you this is i know that you signed hiatus coyote to your flying buddha record label out here and mm-hmm. i feel like i would imagine since you signed them you probably felt what we all felt when we heard that which is like what the what the fuck is this like, like this is crazy but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. like what but beyond like soaking that up, like are there practices or ways that you sort of have found useful to get your your inspiration back or sort of get back into the, the, the mindset, I suppose?
1: Well, what I would always do is I would change genres of music. So, you know, from the mid 90s, probably around 95, 96, I started just working on entirely different genres of music when I was bored with one. So I was doing kind of up until that point, I would go between reggae and hip hop, and reggae and hip hop. And then yeah. I started working on more musical stuff, like, you know, I did the remixes to Jamaricwise Wise, um, Virtual Insanity, or I'll do Tony Rich, or I was going a whole nother soul way. There's some re- levels of production that I've done that people have never even heard me do, you know what I'm saying? Like, other uh-huh. levels of R&B stuff that I was doing was totally different. But I would always just change genres. I go from, you know, in the last 10 years, I might go Jasmine Sullivan one way, but then I'm working with Nas another way. And then I might be at a movie at a whole another way. So, you know, even now I have the, you know, I'm executive music producer for the USA versus Billy Holiday. So I have 10 Billy Holiday songs coming out within the next month with Andrew Day singing it. That's like, you know, straight up, you know, the versions, you know, my version of Lady Sings the Blues on that. Damn, record. Sean it takes me all the way home. So it's kind of like I go to different genres. So I yeah. think sometimes it's a reset in that way, but I also feel like I've gotten to this point when I was 30, I've gotten to this point when I was 40. When you sit down, I feel like Cus sitting in the caskills. And then when you finally meet a Mike Tyson, you're like, all right, I was out of here. But you know what, kid? I think you got it, but you're going to have to put in the work. Right. It's the same way I felt when I met Amy. It's the same way when I felt when, you know, even with the food using different people, I can kind of still see, I kind of, I still can see when somebody's got it, but I also have to see them ready to put into the work to be the great, greatest that they can be. Because
0: any aspiring artist should know this talent won't save you, talent helps, but that's only part of the equation. Mm-hmm. It's the work ethic, it's, you know, being a good listener, it's all those things. So I totally understand that, where it's like, yeah, you can have the talent, but you gotta have the commitment and the drive to actually be you know, able to be produced, you know?
1: Exactly, new Hiatus Coyote coming soon as well. Don't do this
0: to us, Salam, come on. It's a new Hiatus Coyote, come on. Wow, yeah. all right, I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, definitely long awaited. Choose Your Weapon was what, like 2015? Maybe something like that. It's about that. Yeah, all right, last question in our second round. It's another black and white photo. It's someone standing in the foreground wearing what appears to look like leather. What album is this? Is it Run DMC, tougher than leather? Public Enemy, yo, bum rush the show. Onyx, back the fuck up, or Double X Posse, put your boots on.
1: That is Sugar Ray's mouth, so that's Double X Posse. He's analyzing the mouth shapes, folks.
0: And he is correct. Double mm-hmm. X Posse,
1: Big Up BK, Sugar Ray, Bombs, and the group. JC Crew.
0: Absolutely. Is there a, for you? Is there a group? And I'm not saying like you know. I asked the last question. I wasn't leading you to say Andre, but and I'm not leading you to say you know them here. But is there a group that you feel that you and it could still be a big group too? But is there a group or an artist that you feel like? didn't get their flowers that you feel like should get more praise than they do. And you're just like, scratch your head. Like, yo, why does not, why does everybody not feel that they are as dope as I feel that they are or were?
1: You know what I feel like? Um, I feel like there's a thing called the hip hop community. And when it's a community, for instance, growing up, you know, Molly mall, I credit with, um, creating, this one-man band producer thing. And the way where, hey, I'm showing up with my drum machine. And, you know, I guess it was Pumpkin before him in a way where Pumpkin will play stuff and get beef. But Molly created the sampling producer drum machine. Boom, I'm coming in with my beat. This is my track. This is what I'm bringing to the table. I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. But the thing was that what made Molly able to sustain what he was doing, because he had it. Killer MCs, the Juice Crew, this and that, the Eric B and Rakim record, everything that was happening was that when you went to Brooklyn, you heard what Howie T was doing with some of the same breakbeats. It was another level. When you looked at what East Elmhurst, what Herbie was doing with the Idol Makers Crew, was another thing. When you looked at what Said G was doing with the Bronx Crew, it was another thing. You got when you listen to what Forty Five King was doing with his MCs, it was another thing. So I felt like the collective of hip hop has been about the community it wasn't just about that and then those guys that just made one record that was the record you know the sir boo with jazzy g you know with Lil jazza's holy war you know what i'm saying yeah or you know when you listen to what the step with the um the the audio two crew was doing and what they were coming with like king of chill is right unsung, you know what i'm saying like so many producers were unsung on that level and then when you get down to the mcs there's so many records like you know off the top of my head, just because it was Jersey, I thought about Chill G, who's one of my favorites, you know, his Ride the Rhythm album. But then my favorite out of Flavor Unit was Lati. And I only got No Tricks, This Cuss Got Flavor, Wake Up, you know what I'm saying? And a couple of lovely little records I was there putting on the hits. But I yeah. just loved the way Lati sounded and the way he wrote on the tracks. And then Marky Fresh came out of nowhere and he had the one single, The Mac of Rap, with the Gary Boy sample, no you know what I'm saying? So I was so into so many different people because they would be the ones inspiring me on top of the obvious. You know, my my old school tapes, when I listened to it, it wasn't just the stars on the tapes. It was the people in between it that was really making it go. So even now, somebody's talking about like, you know, last 2005, I'm like, yo, I don't know who did still tipping with Mike Jones and Paul Wall and Slim Thug, but that beat still goes and I still want to hear somebody rambling on it. I love what happened with Rich Boy's throw some deeds. I love Shorty Lowe's, you know, Halo. Like, I love the Sonics of it. I love when Lex Luger's moments were kicking in with the BMFs and all that stuff. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I love with Jalil Beast did with Meek Mill's early singles. I still rock with my dude, Key Rain, what he did with the A-Women and what he continues to do overall. So I just think that there's so many people who didn't necessarily get their upfront flowers, but they definitely contributed to the fabric. And I feel like I'm one of those people as well that just contribute to the fabric of what happened. It's not about them the me factor it's about what is this music doing for us absolutely you know when i was
0: i made a post uh earlier today you know promoting your appearance and Mm. i was saying if if you're a hip-hop head you you definitely know salam remy if you are a casual fan you may not necessarily know the name salam remy but god damn the music has affected your life and you may not even know it and that's that you know that isn't to, to echo the point that you were saying, that isn't to take away from the people who were sort of the, the, the little the, the flowers that grew out and like stood a little bit taller. Like even if it was just the one hit wonders, like they, they still contributed, but there, I guess there's something about our society in general that we just tend to like focus on the one thing and we like put all of our attention there. But it's about, like you said, that community and that mm-hmm. environment where the steel sharpens steel where if you're not looking at the whole context, you're kinda of, you're you're really not getting the full picture. It's like going exactly. to a restaurant that's really dope and only getting one thing when you go.
1: It's like there's a whole menu, you know? Exactly. It's just like like um with Just Dice said, if if I didn't say your name and you wasn't there, there's certain things you will only know if you was there. So looking at Double X Posse, now I'm thinking about it, like I liked him from his first singles. He had a version of he was the first person I knew to use the Burning Bridges break, you know, the Mike Curb Congregation Lalo Schiffer thing. And he had a song called uh, Knock 'em Out, Sugar Ray. And they did hmm. actually use a thing, dang, nah, nah, dang, nah, on top of do do do. But that was the first time I heard that break with Sugar Ray. And then he came back again on Mellow Records. Um, and they had a record, I think what's, it might have been his uh, Double X Posse then. And it was called Executive Class. That was crazy. Executive oh, yeah. Class was dope. And then, by the time he got to this Big B period, one of my best friends at the time, you know, and still is, T-Ray had produced um, I'm Not Gonna Be Able To Do It. And, you know, so many other records for them, you know, Make Money and other stuff. And then, you know, I was around Sugar Ray a lot. I seen, you know, a lot of different stuff. BK was around me for years doing stuff. So I always appreciated them, but it was just things that led up to it, you know. Before the Naughty By Nature stuff, they were a group called The New Style. And they ah. had a record called I'm Dynamite with the, Watch 103rd Street, you know, band sample. and I. But I saw them on the record before the record. You know what I'm saying? And it was just dope because sometimes you're like, you don't know who that person's going to become, but it's about what do they continue to put out. You know what I'm saying? You have to do it so many times over and over. Lightning doesn't keep striking in the same place without a lightning rod. Right. Man, well put.
0: All right, listen, we could geek out on records all night, but we got to keep this uh, game going. Salam Remy, folks. Knows the thing, what am I, too, six about- six now? Or am I... I, you are I'm trying six, to keep score.
1: Six for six. I've got your score here. Uh, we, we, we have prepared. said I'm not allowed to pass 13. then uh, that means I would
0: beat him. But. Yeah, I think I'm actually surprised that Questlove hasn't popped in because we've had other guests on the show. And he, uh, he is also a I, I know you know that Amir has many jobs. Uh, I guess one of his jobs is he is a heckler because he comes in here and he heckles uh, guest. And I think he tries to get in their head. So he might show up still, you know, the night is still mm-hmm. young, but so far six for six, you're doing good. We're gonna move on to our third round and the third round is called Jeez, digging in the crate. Oh.
1: <laughs>
0: this is the sample round. Okay, I think that I think you might know a thing or two about. But uh, this is all about samples. So I'm going to play you a sample and ask you a question about it. So okay. let's get into it. This rapper Sample Jungle Brothers, I'm Gonna Do You, for his 1994 single. So I'm going to play you the portion of the Jungle Brothers song. You tell me which rapper sampled this for their 1994 single. It's, it's not just to it, i I'm committed. Girl, he's committed. You know? To so Was he. it Nas, Common, Notorious B.I.G., or Keith Murray?
1: That would have been I used to love her, that's common. B. just to say I did but i committed. But so many niggas that she's just the Uh we caught that you were
0: on uh Heat Rocks recently, the Heat Rocks podcast, and you uh dedicated a whole episode to Jungle Brothers. Um you know Obviously, if y'all want to hear his thoughts on that, go listen to Heat Rocks. But if you were to give us the elevator p- pitch version of that, why, why were Jungle Brothers so uh, pivotal and important
1: to you? Um, it was raw. It was like, you know, that was probably my senior year in high school kicking in with that. Um, you know, still what was powering me being a kid growing up in New York, getting on the bus going to school, you know, we had to have that tape. And the way Jim Browski sounded, the way that uh, because I got it like that, you know what I'm saying? I just went back, I just saw Ian in the in the hallway of school doing the dancing on the dance floor before it was on Buddy, just on the when we had it on our tapes, because I got it like that, I was like, what is this? You know, what the way they were able to utilize what was known as the baby band beats was there. It was so raw, it was their laid back mentality, you know, black medallions, no gold. I'm gonna do you was probably one of my favorite joints, the way they cut up the meters and the different stuff. And during that time, I was actually just starting to travel to the city to go to downtown, not downtown, downstairs records to get Mm -hmm. breaks. So I was learning stuff. You know, I probably had six periods of high school. So I would get out at 12, take the train to the city real quick, try to get some records and then be back before three o'clock and then ride the bus home with my friends who had a full day of school. So I was like, you know, in hip hop, and really starting to get busier with the sample levels of it. But I just felt like what they did just laid so much of a blueprint. And then having a chance to, you know, do little jam sessions and vibes with Africa later on and asking them a gazillion questions about, you know, the fact of how he was coming up with different stuff. And that he said, basically, they wrote the whole album, banging on the table, the guys made me funky break. and Then, they, <laughs> then he would go out and try to find beats to match it. And then doing records, I did a song in my house on 4Track with um, Mike G and Torture at one point called oh, Blast wow. that, That's Out the Socket. I've been trying to find it. But, you know, it's just having a chance to sit down and really talk to them. Mike G's born, like, the day before me. So just, like, a similar type of energy. But I felt like the Jungle Brothers made everybody feel like, yeah, we're here. And it was kind of like the shift from the Kingpin status of rapper to now nah, we here and I'm official and I'm making this happen. But they just had their own swag and energy. And then right. eventually what happened with Native Tongues it was a whole other thing.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I would say that they definitely are the unsung, you know, like everybody gives props to the tribe and daylights. Well, they should. And, you know, everybody else who was involved in the crew. But Jungle Brothers are, you know, I'd say that they're the underrated members uh, in terms of groups within the Native Tongues. Um, to
1: a point, for, but for those who know, those who know can know that that's just still the core of it. You know what I'm saying? Tribe so definitely made their own legacy from low in theory forward from everything. I cannot kick it. You know, tips. Everybody's genius was able to shine, and they were all still able to rock together, and that was the dopest part. You know what I'm saying? So for the Jungle Brothers, they you know all of their first two albums. If you saw, said the Jungle Brothers, you know first couple albums. Chapo Quest's first couple albums, De La Soul's first couple albums, those pieces alone shifted what the possibilities were in music. And then, you know, of course with Queen Latifah and Moni Love and Black Sheep's both albums, you know, I worked on stuff with them. You know what I'm saying? Like that was just all dope that the fact that they were able to keep pushing things forward. Absolutely. All right, we're gonna move on to the
0: next question. Question number two in our sample round. All of these artists have sampled Lou Donaldson's It's Your Thing, except for one of them. So we're gonna play the drum break slash sample in question. Who has not sampled It's Your Thing? Is it Brand Nubian, Lord Finesse, Madonna, or Redman?
1: This must be a trick question, huh? Okay. Um. Punch up up to beat beat down, so it's definitely Nubians did that. I don't remember Finesse doing that. He very well may have. Mm-hmm. Madonna. And then uh, Redman. I'm gonna just do the obvious, like you know dash out and say Madonna but she used surprise surprised me
0: he's going Madonna so we're gonna actually I have the samples here queued up so we can you know we're going a little journey here so first okay. of all you said it right away obviously we all know probably one of the more prominent uses brand new Um we've also got
1: sweating finesse alright
0: Moment of truth.
1: Could see your
0: could see your Madonna, so it was Red Man who is not sampled. Lou who nonsense?
1: Who knew? I mean, it had to be there for a reason. I guess it was the easy answer. Which one of these is not like the other? <laughs> um, Listen, Salaam Remy. You don't need
0: some stupid hip-hop trivia show to validate your supreme knowledge. So I don't want you to feel bad about getting an answer wrong. But as you also mm-hmm. said, we're here to, to learn and teach each other as well. So yes, Madonna did sample the Lou Donaldson,
1: It's Your Thing.
0: Uh, we, we threw in a little a little curveball for you there. So I, mean, you know.
1: I, I use it on Amy Winehouse and Nas, Cherry Wine, and on Supercats Get Over It Hot. So I was familiar with the record intimate with the record but um yeah i didn't really know about the madonna one who knew yes sir
0: all right we're going to move on to our next question here we go which of the following artists was the last to sample heartbeat so this is a sample again that you are intimately familiar with yes. all of these artists sampled it but who sampled it and we'll say sample interpolated because there was one that we weren't positive about on here our our research team we were sort of like it sounds like it could be a sample it could be a reinterpolation but which of the following artists was the last to use it i will play for uh the benefit of everybody here the uh the, the the sample in question here we go What do you think, Salam? Um, who was the last to use
1: it? Um, this timeline, I would guess Tupac, because above the law, I do remember them having a record like it. Of course, Buddy, Treacherous Three was "Feel the Heartbeat," which was kind of played over in its own way, pumpkin style. Mm.
0: I would say Tupac. All right, we're gonna take a listen. Let's see. Uh, let's see where we're at here. So first, we'll we'll go in ascending order. So out of these, the first to use it was. That we think that that might be a replay or like a, a playover, right? Pretty definitely is. That's yeah. Pumpkin and Crew. Okay, cool. Yeah, we that, that was our instinct. Um, then. Mm-hmm. Moment of truth. That was '89. Uh, so the next it, use is '92, and it was.
1: Which means. True?
0: Tupac is correct. Right. Yay! I got Yay! One, one. <laughs> Redeemed. Uh, Obviously, you used uh, that sample for Hot Stepper. That was, what,
1: 93? Uh, I did the record in 92. It was number one in 90. It came out 94 into 95. Oh, 94,
0: 95. yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, do do you feel like, obviously, people had used it before. But like, in your mind as a producer, do you feel pressure when it's like, yo, I'm going to take this sample, but like Daylod did it. Like, do you feel like you have to like, that, does that feel different to you than
1: using a record that is the first time it's being used or does it not even matter to you? Not for that. I mean, actually what ended up happening was, um, I, when I was doing reggae records back then, I would have samples and then if someone used a sample for a hip hop record, I would then put it in the reggae pile. So uh-huh. even with, you know, the issue thing by Lou Donaldson, it was actually Biddies from the BK Lounge on the Daylight album that right. when they had that day, I was like, oh, I can't put it in the hip-hop pile. Nobody's <laughs> going to want it this week, even though Diamond D had done it unbeknownst to me to, for, for brand Nubians and just caught another piece. But when I said, oh, cool, this in the reggae pile, I did it for Supercat. So at that time, what I was doing was, you know, in the clubs when I would be in the DJ booth for Fulton Master Flex, he would play a classic section. So I said, okay, cool. I'm just gonna do a mixture between the reggae section and the classic section. So then that way we can make it work. You know what I'm saying? And that's mm-hmm. really what I was doing. I was like bridging those two things together. Start in the reggae section and then put the, the classics in. So here comes the hot stepper, which I'd already produced as a record. Fitting right. over that sample was just there. But also, um, as you may or may not have known, my dad, the Town of Gardner album that you put up broke that body, my dad was the arranger on it. So We did know that. He yep. actually put together all that stuff. That album is the first album that the keyboard player Bernard Wright ever got paid for a session on. And I was around when they created that album, but also Heartbeat was a leftover track from that album. No way. And then while we were away, we went to Monaco in '79. And while we were away, they recut the track and used the same drummer Tommy Harris, who was in my dad's band, some shit, and played on that album. <clears throat> and when they recut the track, my dad said he'd actually come up with that groove off of "It's a Shame." There's such shame, James. Jam. All right. But the bone, the bone. And that was the "It's a Shame" groove that became heartbeat. So when I sampled it from "Here Comes the Hot Stepper," it was all 360 right back to where it was supposed to be, you know, and that ended up becoming the biggest record, you know, still does quite good business to this day using that sample. Yeah. it's amazing. And so cool to hear like the, the sort of lineage and the
0: connection to your past and your own, your own background and family and sort of, it's like, it's like the family business, right? Like <laughs> you're in the family you know, business. Some and... of these
1: things I couldn't buy them if I wanted to, they just are.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Well, we have made it to our final round now. Salam Remy, and the final round oh, is, is they already.
1: Oh my gosh! Yeah, Dang, yeah. I we're lose friends. <laughs> do to get some more stuff from. Okay. All
0: right. Yeah, you're. This is going to be infamous in the group chat. No matter what happens, you're gonna. Feelings are going to be hurt. Um. So this is our speed round. What it is that we do is you're going to have 90 seconds to answer five questions, non multiple choice, in the category of your choice. Uh, here are the categories for tonight. Rapped Puppets, The D'Angelo and Hip Hop Connection, or since this is episode 86, Back to 86. So you get to choose the category, and you will have 90 seconds to answer five questions in the category.
1: I'm going to stick with 86. Stick with 86,
0: but he's not about to get 86, all right? Listen to him. I mean, if um, this happens, I got 86 from Latin quarters, so. <laughs> he's, he's seen worse um, alright so let me just go over the rules for you real quick you'll have 90 seconds uh, if you do not know the answer or you want to just pass you can say pass and we'll come back to it if you answer it incorrectly though you only get one shot at each question so you got to be careful with how you answer these um, you can use the chat I know you've been a little you know step off chat uh, I haven't but, seen the chat so I, I don't know what how I'm being heckled all right, so good you, you haven't been taking the noble road, you just like literally can't see it. So we we thought that you were, you know, taking the high road, but it's all good. We're not judging. Yeah. You. That um I have OC's classic times up here, and it is time to ninety seconds. So when we it's stop hearing O. C, your time will be up. So are you ready to do this? Yep. All right, he's taking it back to eighty six on episode eighty six. We got Salam Remy in the house. 90 seconds is on the clock. I'm going to cue this up. Salam, Remy. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Salt and Pepper's debut album, Hot, Cool, and Vicious, was released in 1986, but this single was added to the album the following year. Push It. Push It is correct. All right. This 1986 album became the first rap album to top the Billboard charts. Ooh. Uh, Raising Hell. It is not Raising Hell. Name three singles from
1: Run-DMC's Raising Hell. Uh, My Adidas, Peter Piper, and (laughs) Dumb Girl. Uh,
0: We'll give you partial credit on that. Um, It's Tricky is correct. All All right, this group released their debut in 1986 and featured producer The Real Richie Rich as a member. Uh, third bass? Uh, it is Kings of the West Coast. Oh, okay. And in 1986, Too Short released Raw, Uncut, and X Rated, the third album of his to drop on this Oakland record label.
1: Lost me with that one. Um, I don't know
0: it. All right, he's going to take a pass on that. I'm gonna to, uh, total up your score here. Let me, let me go over the other ones. Um, Beastie Boys' License to Ill was the first rap album to top the Billboard charts, although uh, Raising Hell did come out that year. Kings of the West Coast featured ri- uh, Real Richie Rich, and Two Shorts' label that put out his first three albums uh, was called 75 Girls, which I think for too Short is probably a slow day when it's 75 Girls. Uh, I'm gonna to total up your score, Slam Remy, but I want you to know that no matter what, You are a champion in our eyes. I think I got 12. All right. Uh, We're we're gonna total that up. One, two, three, four. Well, so, okay, here we go. Got
1: 11.
0: Yeah, you got 11. So let me tell you who you're, I'm I'm gonna look up and let you know who you're sitting in the 11 club with. But while I do that, my question to you, we always like to ask our guests who come on the show, who they would nominate to come on the show. Who's somebody, now that you've been in the hot seat, whether it's from the group chat or somebody else, who would you want to see come on? No idea. No idea. That'd be pretty crazy. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if we can make that happen. Um, 11 out of 15 is your score, Salam Remy. So let me tell you who else is in the 11 out of 15 club with you. We got former guests of the show, Chub Rock, El sensei writer and producer diallo riddle kim Osorio from the source dj mighty Mai, j live russell peters dj mr c you're not in bad company in the 11 club i want you to know that like 11 is a, is a fine winner circle I, I i can't have a hip-hop legend walking away feeling bad about this tonight yeah it
1: was cool i mean the things you asked me that i didn't know I damn sure didn't know. You know? So, <laughs> it was like, 86, I wasn't even thinking about what was happening on the West Coast, so it was perfect. I think I, I was trying to figure out how far my bus pass could go.
0: <laughs> Probably not to the West Coast at that point. Nah. I don't think the buses went that far. Um, do you have, uh, do, can we take a couple minutes to take some questions from the chat here? Sure. All right, yeah. Um, it was crazy. Like Instagram used to cut us off about an hour, so this was always like a, I was like brushing people off, like, yeah, thank you. Okay, goodbye. But now they don't do that anymore. So we, oh, we can, how we can nice go a little bit. Yeah, that's very nice. Shout out to Mark Zuckerberg. Great guy. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's see. We got some questions here from the chat. Uh, let's see. This is, okay, We're going to start with something random. We're going to take a break from music here. Tralamont asks What is the first dish you learned to cook?
1: Uh... I don't know. can I remember when I learned to cook? Uh, are you a cook? Or Are you, are you actually a cook now? now. OK. So am you know, actually been doing a lot of vegan cooking. Mm. My first dish I learned to cook, uh, spaghetti or something. <laughs> like as a kid, you know, it's the, it's the, I'm home by myself, like a pot pie or something. It's like, you know, I can do cereal. Uh, cereal. Toast, maybe. No. I don't think we'll count cereal. French toast is is, is in the breakfast French realm. or a, yeah. a spaghetti or something. Probably French toast. Now that I think about it, I remember being at, you know, big up my cousins, uh, Desmond, Derek, Kim Charlotte, Richie. I remember being at their house in Maryland and watching them make French toast. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. I saw them make French toast. And what is, your, what is your go-to dish now? Or is French toast still your peak? Is
0: that, like, what
1: you're no, dishing out? Well, I haven't been eating eggs in quite a few years, so yeah. i don't make it. Um, I'm going I make a pretty good vegan lasagna. There's a couple of songs for made about that.
0: Yeah. Big fan of vegan lasagna. I'm, I'm, I like to eat vegan myself. Um, all right. Uh, New Cold Order asks, what's your favorite sample break, Pete? And then they say not impeach the president. Uh, what? But what is your favorite sampled breakbeat? Apache. Apache. So, uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> you want to go there? Yeah. Apache? When you did "Made You Look," I'm, I'm I'm sidebarring here. Like, it's such an ill sample, and such a like. I don't want to say like it's obvious or anything. Like, it's not obvious, mm. but. It's a beat where, like, it was just, you know, I think that there's so many times where, as producers, we can, like, I'm going to take this sample. and I'm going to chop it up, and I'm going to, like, you know, you, you try to get your, like, primo on, right? Where you're, like, I'm going to, like, you know,
1: take little Primo pieces. was killing us with that. You, you're, you like, I need rare drums. He's, like, I'm going to take these drums you heard in your whole life and bang you over the head with them. Yeah. Right. It's, like, I'm not just the obscure guy. I'm going to take, like, your the
0: most obvious thing. But what was your like how did that even happen that you were like i'm just gonna take bongo band incredible bongo band and i'm just gonna slow it down like
1: that was crazy um, i've been working with ricky martin at that time you know i've done a remix for him called more that i had greg nice on not where i thought this was gonna go but keep going <laughs> right so there's a remix If people looking it up there's a more um remix with greg nice on it okay um, that i did for ricky martin And then I was working on other songs with him. I just moved to Miami. And I was like, y'all, I want to have to... Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. (laughs) I was like, if I put Ricky Martin on Apache, we out of here. This is going to go. And there was a thing that I always heard, that Lost Professor would slow down the samples when he was doing the chops, just to make sure that he was getting right on the hit. So I was just slowing it down, messing with it. And when I slowed it down, I just got all my stuff, moved down to New York, and all the dudes, no, you know, Loose J, Alex, everybody that used to work in my studio busting the room. And I also was on the phone with nobody, the producer. And he was like, yo, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna give this to Nas. So then I hit Nas and left it on his um, voicemail. And he was, you know, starting to work on what was the, the becoming the Gosson album. And, you know, we had had a discussion about how it felt when we first saw I Ain't No Joke. How mm. I felt when we saw BDP rushing into Union Square in the video. How I felt when we saw Run's house. And just that whole outside and how I felt. And when you look at the major the video, you see all those things. And I thought he was going to come real hype on it because it was a really hype, intense time. And he rock him on it just like, I ain't no joke. Let's get it all in perspective. He basically pulled a rock him. And, you know, he has a thing where he would talk about rhyming on the one-ass nigga. <laughs> so he's like, I'm, I'm not one of those rhyming on the one dudes. I'm going to come after the one. So it's like, bam. Let's, let's get it all in perspective. Yeah. It's, it's after. Let, it's not on the downbeat. Let the beat go boom. And then he tell you about yourself rather than trying to hit you with the beat. He's going to come after it. And that's what he did. And, you know, we were working in Orlando. I went to New York for one day and came back. And he's like, yeah, let him hit. And that's what it was. I mean, just such a such a mean,
0: like just moment, like just a like a crazy epic sound and definitely what Nas needed at that point in his career. You know, that was mm-hmm. that was important for him, not just as a having a great record, but like it, it was there was a lot surrounding like people's perception of where he was
1: at in his career. And he he really had to come in with the him style, you know, yeah, like he, he nailed the record. And then for me, just on the production level, you know, I got really cool with Michael Viener after that. And that stuff, that uh, credible bongo band was recorded like in Phil um, Spector's wall of sound studio with those reverbs with King Erickson playing all the percussion on it. So King Erickson's killer percussion on top of the Phil Spector sonics of the guitars and the drums actually made the original record just sound so crazy. And then when I sampled it, I made sure I used you know, my stereo sampler and got, you know, I had my, I guess my MTC 2000, but I was using stereo samples and utilized a lot of the sonics of the record and, you know, didn't really smother it with a whole bunch of extra stuff. I just kept EQing it till it sounded like it was popping a brain vessel for you. And, you know, it, it, it sticks that way to this day. It did. It, I,
0: I have popped many brain vessels to that record in my, in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we got time for a few more. Uh, Sally yeah. Haskell asks, Please talk about making my favorite
1: song, Addicted, by Amy Winehouse. Mm. So that song, um, when we did the Frank album, uh, Amy was being a smart mouth and telling off the label and doing all types of young artists, fun stuff. (laughs) And um, Lucy and Grange, Sir Lucy Grange, had actually said, you know what? Go back and add a couple songs to the album because we won the Ivor Novello Um, Songwriter Award for Stronger Than Me but the Mm -hmm. album wasn't performing that well Right. Um, so they said add a couple of songs to the Frank album so we actually came up with what later became Addicted and also I'd Been Drinking which became Just Friends Mm. so those two songs were added at the end of the Frank album cycle and that's when we first wrote them and you know we did it the way I would always work with Grammy she would start with guitar I'd do a basic beat and then build it up, and then flush out the production when she was gone, um, for the most part. And that's what happened with that. And then we had an early version that was a little bit more jazzy, Frank sounding. And then right. when it was time to do it for the Back to Black, where she was more in the doo lane, and I was just trying to find ways to um, not have all the songs be the same tempo. So that and Tiz drawing Their on, I took a Motown way at it. Right. Like doing the multi-roll on it just to get it going. But, you know, having my knowledge of samples and having my knowledge of all those different things and really the whole song was about Amy wanting to get the line off. And, you know, I said to her, like, hey, why don't you make a song called Fuck Sex? And she's like, oh, I like that. So she wrote a whole few pages called Fuck Sex. Yeah. And fuck Sex became tears drying their home, Addicted, um, a song called Fox Six, and one more song. I can't remember which one. But basically, you know, she really just wanted to say, um, it's got me addicted. It does more than any dick did. That's what she she wanted to get her joke off. And that's what it is. It's got me addicted. It does more than any dick did. You know, she just thought it was hilarious. And Amy's a comedian, so everything that she sang was really meant to make you laugh.
0: I mean, just an amazing, amazing artist, obviously amazing work that you guys did together. And, you know, hearing you talk about that, too, Mm -hmm. you're not, you know, this is what kind of separates, like, you know, producer beat makers from producers. You're looking at the whole album and you're being like, these are great songs. They're all, but we need to switch the tempos up. Like, you're looking at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And that's just another thing that obviously... We, we all appreciate about you is like your attention to detail and your you know dedication to this craft of producing records. It's not it's not just beats. Shout out to beat makers. Love beat makers. No, but I'm like, a beat
1: maker at heart. I understand that. I totally understand that. But yeah, know, I transitioned probably at the Fuji's to be honest. Like I'd done it before, I was already doing it and really focusing on songs. But the Fuji's just let me know that the same beat that could have sold thirty thousand could sell thirty million. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and but, but
0: what, in your mind, separates those two in terms of like how it focus, how it Focus on the
1: song. Focus on the song. The song, like the way I describe it telling the young artists, the beat is like, hey, that's a crazy shape. Ooh, I see that. The melody is like, oh, that's a pretty face. Oh, wow, pretty shape, shape. Right, but the lyrics actually make you, intrigue you enough to always stick to it. Remember, you remember their name, remember what was said to you and everything else. Everything else is just like a pretty face in a nice shape. That's going to be great. It's a great melody. Cool. I love it. It might be classic for years. But when you have those lyrics, and all the artists that I've had success with are incredible lyricists, and they're able to explain themselves. You know, Jasmine Sullivan's lyrics. You know what I'm saying? You know, Miguel's lyrics. Amy Winehouse's lyrics. Lauren Hill's lyrics. Yeah. Nas's lyrics. The lyrics are as important to me as what snare I use because if I have great lyrics I can change a snare or don't even put one. Right. Exactly. The production but doesn't have to do the work. I can't take whack rhymes and just be like I'm going to put a great snare and nobody's going to hear what you say. <laughs> it might work for two weeks but it, it, it wears off.
0: People will be like, this is a great song, but why is the snare so much louder than the rapping that I can't hear? And there's a cool. lot
1: of songs with real loud snares. And they get you going. They get you in the party. you be like, hey, hey, you're in it. And then after a minute, it doesn't go the same. But I work the opposite way. Well, we
0: appreciate the way you work. And Salam, Remy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. This was amazing.
1: Thank you. I feel like I need one more question. If I don't answer one more question, I feel like I'm cheating someone. <laughs> like you one want one another question from the group or if or... yeah, there's one more if there's one more question from the group I just need. All right,
0: all right. Uh I mean I feel like there... I have to say something else. I have a bunch in here, so I mean it's just about finding I, I wanna make sure that we do it justice here. Um all right, let's see. Uh we have we, got some amy questions in here we've got um okay this is this is a good one this is and if you if this doesn't suit you we'll keep going i'm i'm trying to be respectful of your time so like, mm-hmm. i'm not in a rush but uh, to me to taylor asks what's the best advice tips you can provide for new talent or managers with new talent like The industry has changed so much, obviously, but maybe there are still things that remain the same. What What do you sort of advise new talent when they uh, when when they're trying to make their way into music?
1: Um, you have to continue to keep creating things that you feel like not just fit into as good as what's going on, Mm. but that is something unique about it. And you have to continue to do it a lot. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to build a tunnel digging a hole. You have to dig a tunnel and then keep going and going and going till you get out the other side. And right now we have the internet. You know, the internet is a great tool that I didn't have 30 years ago to be able to show people what my things are. And if you look at, you know, from a producer like from a, you know, Ninth Wonder took my lot of the Godson album and made God's stepson and got more popular, or. Danger Mouse made the gray album out of the white album and the black album. Even though they were there, but they were able to utilize that. And I just think that there's so many artists now where you can create something that, you know, people might not discover it the first week you did it or the second week. It might take a year or two, you know, the Lizzo story, the same songs out forever and then it finally turns over. So I just think you have to keep coming up with great quality, not being afraid, work on your craft. You know, if you're an artist and you're a detail artist, be a detail artist and make it happen but then push all the way until you're able to make it go. Because at this point, you know, everyone's sitting in the house looking at a screen going, what am I going to do now? <laughs> what are you going to do now or what are you going to watch now? Just be about it, do it, you know? If you plant a seed, you're going to grow a tree. Wise words, absolutely. Oh,
0: it, People are saying Questlove was in the chat. Uh, I don't know if he's still in here or not. Uh, he's just happy he won. I didn't yeah. pass 13 Amir. <laughs> Sorry, Amir, or congrats, Amir. Amir, you shouldn't be taking, you know, joy out of Salam's. So first of all, Salam did great. Salam's doing fine. Like this isn't a sad story for Salam Remy. Um is that... "Well, we the things Clark- that I
1: didn't know, I can't say I wanted to know them." So, ha uh, that makes me. Crazy. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. all right.
0: See, <laughs> I see you, you're changing your tune now. All right, um, perspective. You no, know, I can find joy <laughs> in everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you feel satiated with that final question, or do we go into more? It's up to you. Oh,
1: no, we're good. I mean, like, so you want to do one more if you see something that makes sense. So all good. All I right, can't right. see them, so I'm just having fun. I'm all still right, here. We're, we're glad you're having fun. That, since I have all this light on my face. And,
0: you know, <laughs> um, like. let's see. Uh, okay, this is this is a great one too. I, I, I like this one. A shout out to of Fishall in the chat as well. What good up, Cardinal? You now. should come on the hey, show, Cardinal. It'd be great. Um, here's a question from Demita Taylor, she asks, what major disappointment became a turning point in your career, old, interim, or new memory? So what was a disappointment or something that felt like a failure at the time that became a turning point for you? I love that question.
1: You know, I'm such a positive person. I can't think of one off the top of my head, a disappointment. Uh, I'm sure glad I missed, Uh, to be honest, uh, I would feel rude to have asked for the things in my career that have gone right, you know, I almost feel like I had too many things go right,
0: that Mm. this isn't
1: me, this is uh, someone else working through me. So I can't think of a disappointment in a certain way, you know, there's something that didn't work, I can kind of say in my gut I knew it wasn't going to work. So I wasn't really disappointed. I'm trying to think, what is a disappointment? Um, I think it's learning, you know what I mean? It's also like things when I might have done loads of demos on artists, you know. Um, and then when the success came or the deal came, maybe the business didn't work out, but I learned from it. Yeah. Um that happened quite a few times early in my early career where um, you know, I need like we've done demos. And then after Here Comes the Hot Stepper, I was kind of like, well, I did my part. And I was like, well, cool. I did the Platinum one. And I felt cool just saying, cool, I'm good with this one. You get ahead and do whatever you're going to do. Right. Just separate it if we're not going to stick to our original deal, even though the time had passed. Um, and I still listened to the demos that I did with Here Comes the Hot Stepper, and they're still fire now. So I'm cool with it because it was there. I think, you know, not being disappointed by other people's actions was the learning. You know what I'm saying? That, that kind of is it. I'm not disappointed. With it. It's cool. I have to be disappointed if I don't know how to bounce back from it. You know what I'm saying? And I have quite a good bounce back.
0: <laughs> well, it's a very, it's a, a, it's a brilliant and a positive uh, way. And just, a, just a, a good attitude to have, especially in a business where, like, look, I got news for you kids. If you're watching this, if you're looking for a smooth and, like, Everything will be delivered exactly as you think it's going to happen. Career, music ain't it? <laughs> it's it's not it's skin,
1: Or it's not for you. You know, it says that all the time. You gotta have thick skin. Yeah. You know, people will tell you all types of stuff about yourself, and if you don't have thick enough skin, you're not gonna make it.
0: Hundred percent. Salam Remy. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you for. All the music you've done, thank you for being gracious with your time uh, and joining us. We learned a lot and it's been an honor and a pleasure speaking to you, so thank you. Thank you, and no, I didn't do as bad as I thought I would, so I'm, I'm happy. Hey, listen, the man does not know how to have negative experiences. He, he, he got a lower score than, than Amir, but he's still, he's positive,
1: and he, he you learn things from me. him.
0: It's like,
1: he has some extra information in his antennas probably he we
0: don't know what he's keeping in his hair you know there's a lot of like grip notes. thank you so much be well right, be cool. safe we'll talk soon thank you peace tell me that you did not learn something amazing in this episode i want to give so much love and a big shout out to salam remy for appearing on the show it was an amazing conversation really fun to revisit and i hope that you all enjoyed listening to it as much as i enjoyed having it Make sure that you follow The Questions on social media. We're on Instagram, at TheQuestionsHipHop. On Twitter, at QuestionsHipHop. You can find me on both of those platforms, at Dammit, And of course, you can send me an email, Sean at QuestionsHipHop.com. I don't know what you want to email me about, but hey, I'm not going to tell you not to. I'm always down to talk, answer questions, take requests, all that good stuff. The Questions Hip Hop Trivia Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by me, Sean Kantrowitz, additional writing on this episode by DJ Steve Wonder. The show's theme is by Midas the Beast and Czarism. This show is a proud member of the Stony Island Audio Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. See you next time.